I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm accepting who I am. Bang. Hey, you know, I love a meditative bang. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the Stefan Sabrina, and the overall three-point contest being very fun at the All-Star Game, to everything else being relatively but. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? Burn it down, man. Let's just... Uh, we... It's... I, I don't it's even tough. have the words. I'm very, I just miss, I miss the old days. And I know I sound like a get off my lawn sort of guy, but mm-hmm. uh, man, I almost every year I go back and just watch the fourth quarter of the 2001 All-Star game and I reminisce on on the good times. Yeah, there have been many people trying to figure out what do we do to fix the All-Star weekend? Because if anyone didn't watch, you're in good company. I also didn't watch. It was mainly because I was on tour, but I watched in the ideal format, which is you don't watch it live. You do mm-hmm. something during it. You don't check your phone and then you go back and the NBA just has like condensed versions of all the things where they cut out all of the filler and the commercials. So I could which watch is most skills challenge. Yeah. yeah. Skills challenge, 14 minutes, three point contest, 14 minutes, Steph for Sabrina, eight minutes, dunk contest, 12 minutes. Like it was a very efficient way to consume all the stuff. And then I didn't even touch the All-Star game because I knew it was going to be terrible What with them getting rid of the Elam ending and some of the other stuff. I knew it was going to be bad. It was very bad. There's been lots of discussion about how to fix it. And I don't know exactly what the solution is. The three-point contest is super fun. The Steph versus Sabrina thing was so much fun. And I don't know. I feel like we'll get into this in full court press, but it is disappointing to see everything else become kind of meh as the three-point right. stuff just seems to become like more and more fun as it goes, or at least it's just consistently fun. Like it's always a good time. And the other stuff is just starting to fall off a cliff. Well, I think the three-point contest is the only thing left that still has star players in it who are trying. Because obviously the All-Star game has all the stars in it, but they don't care or wish to try at all. And then the dunk contest has become just a rotating circle of G League guys, which is not to disparage the Mac McClungs of the world. And again, we'll talk about this more in full court press. But like the three point contest seems to be the last vestige of what we wish the All Star weekend could be. 
Yeah, yeah. We'll get into it. Let's get ready to get into it, though, by heading over to the Teal Memorial locker room, which is filled with beverages, but not starry. Uh, okay, good, good, good. Because, <laughs> man, I, I, I was... Is it too late now to drink starry? Ooh, have they done that in a commercial yet? No, but they should. They should. We, we're too good at marketing to drink companies <laughs> on this podcast, and they like, aren't listening. You mean listening. like uh, light the Jim like Beam? The, like the Jim Beam. Yeah. <laughs> God. Oh my goodness. That's pretty good. I would like to see what percentage of Starry's marketing is in specifically NBA All-Star Weekend compared to everything else. And it's I, a lot, like, yeah. And you know what? I kind of don't hate it. Like there should be more brands that are just like, we sponsor one thing and we put all the money into that. And then you just associate our brand with this one thing. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're in the Teal Memorial locker room. You know who else is here, and they're also not drinking Starry? Everyone in the world, but also our producer-level <laughs> patrons. Yes, our producer-level patrons. They still have vintage cans of Sierra Mist, which is Ooh. all that Starry is. It's I've heard some of them thing. have Surge and Citra. Oh, and then some people got the special uh, 20-year anniversary of Baja Blast, which you can now get in stores for Ooh. a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I had Taco Bell a couple of weeks ago, and I got a Baja Blast. And I had maybe four sips. <laughs> it's just like nauseatingly body. sweet, right? It's so good. But just like after you have a couple sips, you're just like, I feel like my blood type is like B positive from Baja Blast. <laughs> like it's my blood type is BB positive now. Anyway, our producer level patrons are here. And those producer level patrons are Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Siobhan Ellsbury, Doko Chasing Taco Falls. Bang, bang. Roast beef debris. How about them world champion Denver steamed nuggets? And shout out to that shout out because I got to meet Lisa at the Denver live show. They were very sweet and they apologized for us having to say. It. And I was like, no, Denver needs to brag more. The media is not hyping them up enough. I'm glad we say every single time the world champion Denver Steam. Yeah, and we've committed to continuing to say it until they are no longer world champions, mm -hmm. which might until. be later this year, might not be. We'll have to see. They're still looking good. Anna Reed, Steph Curry, and his replacement splash brother for three. Bang. Clay has moved to the bench. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying that like, oh man, yeah, that is kind of sad. Mm. Oh, I wasn't going for the UNESCO reference, which would be more upbeat. Yeah, but I was the going new for Splash more... sibling. You're exactly, going for yeah. Clay is on the bench. That's okay. He's embracing it. And I like Clay as the story of people in their older age recognizing that you can't do everything. I went right. skiing in Denver and I only went on blues and greens. I didn't do any black slopes because I recognize it's just not worth it. But part of you the didn't process. get injured that's the huge Great thing. Huge day. I, I did a whole ski tracker. It gives you all these stats, and it was cool, but I would have loved if one of the stats was number of injuries. <laughs> and Listen, I, I mean, like, we talk zero, a lot baby. on this show about it not being about the wins and losses, and increasingly, the older I get, the less it is in my personal sporting life about the wins and losses. Anytime I play a game, it can be softball, it can be basketball, it can be just hopping on the old Peloton. If I do mm. that and I'm not injured at the end, it was a win. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I need to get a little bit more up there in age because every time we lose a softball game, I want to murder everyone. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. I, I'm still thinking about the semifinal and it, it haunts Fucking me. Fucking AJ ruined that. Oh, I wasn't even talking. I was talking about our oh. Monday fast pitch league where we were on the cusp of getting to the uh, finals. That was just us not playing a good game. The other one, our team was rolling. We were vibing. And then this guy that we don't like showed up and just destroyed all the vibes. Yeah. All the vibes. Yeah. Fuck you, AJ, if you're listening to the podcast. I hope yeah. you don't play this year. And if you do play this year, and again, I'm going to- for the, for the purposes it, it, of anonymity, we're going to call him AJ, which is his name. 
his actual name. <laughs> I don't know his last name. If I did, I would say it. Let's continue onward. Uh, hi, Trish, Nicole Shepard, Chase Underillo, Mr. Bubbles Plays Ball, Naked Rachel, Sidney Crosby is a vampire, Chelsea's cousin, who I also met. Chelsea's cool. cousin was at the Denver show. That was super fun. They were super nice. And Ginger Spurs Boy and Balls to the Wall. There you go. You know, we don't have Starry as a sponsor for yeah. this, but you, you Hashtag know Starry, do? not Starry. <laughs> you know who we do have, though? Or what we do have? I think uh, we're, we're about to have a tab check. So tell us about Tab for a Cause. We are going to have a tab check with Tab for a Cause. So Tab for a Cause is a pretty cool thing. You can raise money for charity just by using the internet. That is pretty sweet. You go to tabforacause.org slash horse. You install it in your browser just in a couple of clicks. And then every time you open a tab, you get a nice little picture of either nature or architecture or something. You can customize widgets. You might see some ads in the corner, but those ads raise money for charity. And then you can pick what charities get supported. It's honestly pretty sweet. So we'll do our tab check right now. I only have two tabs open. I have 18. All right. Hey, that's pretty good for you. That's a low number for me. And yeah, and I will say my two is just because I have not used my computer at all today except for this for horse. So I have one tab up for our G chat and one tab up for some sports and news related things to discuss. And that's about it. Fair enough. So it's okay. If you go to tabforacause.org slash horse, you can turn that tab energy into charitable goodness. So that is our sponsor. Now we're going to take a break for some other ads, unless you're listening on Patreon where you get ad-free episodes. But those ads are locally inserted. And once those ads are complete, we will get into the rest of this episode of Horse. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Adam, what is going on in your world? Any fun things to announce or discuss? Yes, a lot of the same things that I mentioned the last time, but let's talk about some road dates. On Friday, March 29th, I'm going to be headlining two shows at Dallas Comedy Club in Dallas, Texas. Uh, all of these, you can get tickets on my website at adammamawala.com slash standup, or if you follow me on social media, it's all in my link tree and such. Uh, then I've got a Northeast run. I'm doing a little indie room in Manchester, New Hampshire on Wednesday, April 10th, followed by a couple nights in Portland, Maine. The main one <laughs> mm-hmm. is uh, at Empire Comedy Club, where I'll be headlining at 
10 p.m. on Friday the 12th. Then I'm headlining two shows in Boston the following night, April 13th. Um, I'm going to be hosting a corporate event in Miami. You can't come to that. It's a private thing. I'm sorry. But I'm going to be setting up some other shows in the Miami area. That'll be the, uh, I think, the first week of May, like May 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, I will share more about that soon. Then, ooh, we got a siren, but I'm going to keep going because who cares? We're just doing the plugs. I'm going to be headlining in Houston, your hometown-ish area. Mm-hmm. That siren sucks, doesn't it? I can't hear it. Oh, okay. We're keeping this all in. <laughs> Friday, May 31st, I am in Houston. Probably also Saturday, June 1st. I'm also actively working on setting up some shows in San Antonio and Austin while I'm there. Then I'm going to be in Denver, July 19th and 20th. And that's all I'm promoting for now. That was the whole thing. Over to you. I've got those North Carolina shows. I've got one in Raleigh on March 9th and one in Charlotte on March 10th. The Raleigh one is approaching sellout territory. At the time of recording this, we only have like 25 tickets left. So if you want to come through, come through. And then the Charlotte show I'm in talks to try and get it streamed. So if you do not live in the North Carolina area and you want to watch the show, I'm trying to get that one to be live streamed so that everyone across the globe can watch it and it would have a replay and stuff too um but i would say just you know follow that's for a half the new olympian half potter show so if you just follow those on social media you'll be up to date with announcements there and then nothing is really on the horizon for the next couple of months uh in terms of shows but i think i will be resuming things like around summertime i'll be in portland for leaky con fourth of july weekend and i think i'm going to do at least a seattle show beforehand and maybe another one either like vancouver or in portland just in that general time period of fourth of july week ish in the pacific northwest and then other stuff later down the road like much, much later, we've already booked things for a return to Philly and Toronto, but that's like in September and October. So you can really mark your calendars super duper early. But uh, that's that's the stuff on the the immediate horizon. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. But now shall we get into full court press? Get out like the news? Yes. No NBQ and a today. We only have so much time because we have a great interview coming up that uh, that was very long in the best possible way. Like it was like an hour that flew by and we were like, we could have talked mm -hmm. for eight more hours. We a thousand percent could have. It was super fun. But yeah, full court press, get out like the news. Main thing we're going to be talking about here is NBA All-Star Weekend. I think we can kind of go like chronologically. Sure. Celebrity All-Star Game Friday. I like that there was some beef that came out of it. I like that Jennifer Hudson was in the mix. I dislike that I didn't know anybody else in there. I also, this is going to be a very specific thing, but there's this one dude like Tristan Joss or Yoss that's in there. Yeah, I think he's like a YouTuber or something. He's like a YouTube and... Instagram thing where he just like makes trick shots and like they are very hard trick shots but like I see him on my feed all the time because different NBA teams will have him out there and like while they're setting up the thing he just like does trick shots the whole time and he's like kind of good at basketball too at least like comparatively for the celebrity all-star game where like if you roughly know what you're doing you're fine but he was like talking trash about Kelsey Plum afterwards it's like dude <laughs> absolutely stop <laughs> well she gave it right back to him though yeah, they did have a fun thing. And then she like admitted like that he got her. So like it was some fun trash talk. So I like that that came out of it. But also like, dude, maybe don't trash talk Kelsey Plum. Like she's a WNBA champion. What are you doing? But we got to get more. I would love to see the celebrity all-star game and get more hype. I don't know that we ever will do it, but I don't know. I didn't. I do believe she called him a little mole rat, which I enjoyed. She did, which is good because he does kind of look like that. But I did appreciate, I love that they have some of the WNBA players in there just smoking 
the the people. Like it was great to see Jewel yeah. Lloyd just like cooking folks. Ron Artest, not in playing shape, I would say. Mm, mm, mm. So then I guess Saturday we've got Steph versus Sabrina, which was awesome. It was super cool. She shot from the NBA three point line, still used yeah. the WNBA ball, which I think is well, fine. I do I do feel like we need to go back to the like oh. the rookie game. Because on Friday night, oh, I there's completely like, forgot that existed. It yeah, was really was fun, that? actually. I I, okay. I would say it was much more competitive than the All Star game was because it's guys. The way they have it divided now is, I think it's like a rookie team, a sophomore team, an international team, and then a G League team. G League so it's like team. G League All Stars, and those guys are hungrier than anybody because they realize mm-hmm. they have this platform to show how good they are and and hopefully get like a ten day contract with a uh, with a professional team. So. I actually enjoyed that a lot. I would say if you have, you know, 20 minutes, it's worth going back and just watching like the condensed highlights of it. Like yeah. there there was some pretty cool stuff. Um, when Banyama's team lost, which was kind of a surprise to the G League team, I believe. I don't know if I'm getting it confused, but yeah, that was worth all of these things. Uh, to your point earlier, they're worth watching in like a condensed five minute version, but to devote your entire night or weekend to watching any of them or to paying the exorbitant prices to go see them in person, like... As much as I've always wanted to go to the All Star Game, I don't know that I would do it anymore. Like, I'm not sure that I could justify spending three or four hundred dollars to watch guys fuck around. Yeah. Now that the Knicks are good, I had this genuine thought because next year's All Star Game is in the Bay Area, and my buddy mm. Salvatore Testa, who is one of our producer level patrons, he lives in the Bay, and I was like, oh whoa, I could go. I wouldn't have to stay in a hotel. Salvatore had room. I could crash at his place, and then I thought. Or I could spend $500 on going to a Knicks playoff game because the Knicks are good now. Like, right. it's such a different That would be a more of, fun experience than an All-Star game. It would be, sure. a, right, it would be so much better. Now, if the All-Star game became what it used to be, that's a whole nother situation. But in its current state, I don't want to yeah. drop the big money on I, it. I sometimes think the best time to go is after a terrible year because you know they're going to try to do some mm-hmm. sort of correction next year and mm-hmm. maybe you'll just like mm-hmm. luck into a better game. Um, yeah. But we'll get we'll get to that in a second. I don't I don't want to yeah. go out of order. So mm-hmm. anyway, that was the other thing on Friday night. And I actually I enjoyed it. I thought that was that was pretty well done. Now, Saturday, they start with a skills challenge. Mm-hmm. I guess what, what was kind of cool about it was they had this like funky light up court this year. Yeah, where they it was almost the LED like, court. Yeah, it was like NBA jam, but in real life. So there were different spots that were hot spots. Um, and they were using that during that uh, rookie sophomore international game as well, which was kind of cool. It was like you could shoot from the four point area or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So but again, the, the shooting contest, it was like everybody was kind of walking through it. Because apparently it's not cool to try hard. Mm-hmm. The skills challenge has just gotten ridiculous because it's like they. I saw a side by side photo of how hard the passing element used to be, where you used to be passing through like an actually mm-hmm. tiny hole, and now it's just like basically if you can throw it to the other half of the court, you've accomplished that part of it. I believe the Pacers team won. They did after the tiebreaker of shooting half court shots, which is so silly. When you said the shooting challenge, was that something different, or was that just like the part of the skills challenge where they? We're making shots. I don't even know. I was, to your point, I was like passively watching it. But I, there was okay. a, a component where like there were different spots on the court and the three people oh, were out yes. there and then they had to yes. like. Yeah. yeah. So I the thing with the skills challenge is like I liked some of the things they were doing. I liked mm-hmm. that thing where you, they had to shoot and they couldn't shoot from the same spot and stuff. I just think it was too long. Like there were too many things. Honestly, the one where they have to like dribble around and do stuff used to be fun and has now become like not as good honestly i thought the passing thing where they had the things moving up and back was kind of fun and the thing where they had to shoot was kind of fun and it should have just been that um the thing that i really miss i missed the shooting stars challenge where they used to have a current player and WNBA player and an nba legend and they would just have to make like 
certain shots. It, it almost felt like the thing that you did at MSG where like they had to make a certain number of two point shots, three point shots, and then a half court shot. And that was awesome. And it was cool yeah, when they would really like fun. get people all from the same city. So you could get like Carl Anthony Towns and Maya Moore and Kevin Garnett. It's like, oh, all Timberwolves and Minnesota Lynx legends. Cool. Like, right. I think that was really fun and I do miss it. I remember there was this run where like Chris Bosh was just like really good. It, I think it was like there was a run where Chris Bosh was elite and Swin Cash was elite mm-hmm. at, as well. And it was just yeah. like super fun. So yeah, Skills Challenge was fine. I think it was like way too long. Even me watching the condensed version, I was like, oh my God, right. it's going on forever. So then Steph versus Sabrina. Uh, then it was a three-point contest. Oh, three-point was Actually, before? Steph versus Sabrina was like the headlining act kind of. Oh, I didn't realize. Contest. So okay, three-point okay. contest was first. Um, Damian Lillard ended up winning that one, but it was pretty good. I mean, there were some strong rounds there. Yes, it was very fun. I enjoyed it. I thought the tiebreaker thing was interesting that Mm -hmm. they had to do. It was kind of confusing, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was glad Jalen Brunson did very well. He was one shot away, I think, from making it into the finals. So that was cool. It was competitive. It was fun to see stars, but then also someone like Malik Beasley, who's shooting very well from three, but isn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. So it was a fun lineup. I thought it was cool. The light-up court was cool, and I overall enjoyed it. And then... Stefan Sabrina mm-hmm. was super cool, lived up to all the hype. I liked yeah. it. It was just like high stakes, one round, that's it, just go. And so what was funny- She it, set the bar high. I mean, yeah, she literally got the same score that Dame did in the finals to win it. And yeah. you said that was after the three-point contest? Mm-hmm. So that's weird because my least favorite part of All-Star Saturday and specifically Stefan Sabrina was Kenny Smith. The man needs to go away. Like, he's always been pretty bad, but this year was egregious. And I could have sworn, because I watched these just, like, in no particular order, I watched Stefan Sabrina first when I was watching them, because I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to see how this went. And the comments he was making about Sabrina were so reductive, and he was kind of, like, putting down her score. The fact that she went after Dame 1 with 26, and he didn't mention that at all or hype that up at all, he was like, oh, well, you know, she only scored 26. Like, she could have got more if she shot from her line. It's like, she just did the same as the guy who won the dudes event. That's so weird that it was after. That makes me dislike Kenny Smith and his performance there even more. That's atrocious. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where the sorts of people who were going to have a problem with her would have found a way to do it anyway. Like, even if she had a perfect round, people would have been like, well, she still used a smaller ball. Like, Mm -hmm. there was never going to be a way that There weren't going to be at least some people criticizing. I guess I understand if I'm giving Kenny Smith any leeway at all, which I really don't want to, nor do I think he deserves. I guess the point he was trying to make is like, well, why shoot from a distance that you're not usual to shooting from as opposed to the WNBA three-point line? Like if you're going to use your own ball, why not use your own three-point line that you're used to? Which like, I guess... But I I think the point is that, like, it should have been a celebration of how incredibly impressive it was that Mm -hmm. she just got a 26 Mm -hmm. from NBA range. Yeah. Which is not only is it farther, but it's also, like, not the usual stroke that she's used to shooting most regularly. Yeah, it's a different muscle memory thing. Like, I also think that NBA players would struggle with shooting from the WNBA line. Because most yeah. of them are not used to shooting what would be a long two in the NBA because it's not really a big part of the league anymore unless you're DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> exactly. So I thought the event was really cool. I'm glad they both played really well. I'm glad it was close. Like, I think Sabrina it was hit her first perfect. like seven shots. Seven she or eight shots. started off. For a second, I was like, is this like, going to be a perfect oh, round? 
Yeah, at yeah. first it was really, really intense. And then Steph missed his first couple. So it was like, ooh, it was yeah. great. It was exactly what you wanted out of the event. It would be cool if they bring it back and just like establish a fun, playful rivalry between the two of them. I think it would be really fun. So that was cool. And then the dunk contest, like, I don't know. The thing that was interesting about the dunk contest is like, I thought some of the dunks were fun. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't necessarily that, like, all of the dunks were bad, and there wasn't, like, a bunch of annoying props and pageantry and all that kind of stuff. What was really frustrating, though, was just that, like, Jalen Brown was not good, and clearly they were trying to make an agenda of, like, get him into the finals to get more stars in. And if it was yeah. close, that would have been fine. But, like, his dunks were worse than Hawkes's and Jacob Toppin's dunks. Yeah, well, Jacob Toppin definitely got screwed, but Jalen Brown... That 360 like, through the leg one he did was so cool. It was very cool, and Jalen Brown, he wasn't even, like, getting up. Like, it seemed like the ball was barely clearing the rim. And also, I'm sorry, it's not impressive to dunk over someone sitting in a chair who's already short. Like, it, the, right. the whole... It was, like, Kai Sennett. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, who's, like, a popular streamer guy. One of the celebrities um, from the celebrity thing. Yeah. Our definition of what a celebrity is is really warped these days, but that's a, a much longer conversation for another day. But yeah, Jalen Brown's dunks were like noticeably worse than everybody else's. They clearly pushed him through to the finals. And then in the finals, one of his main dunks was like making fun of the fact that people say he can't use his left hand. But okay, he dunked with his left hand, but like it wasn't an impressive dunk. So I, I don't know. I would have been really upset if he won. I will say that. Yeah. The thing that made me the most upset was when he tried to do, because he was trying to pay homage to old dunkers and old dunks that they've done. And he tried to do the D Brown thing where he covers his eyes with his arms, but he didn't do it until after he finished the right. dunk. And that's just nothing, man. Like he should have been immediately disqualified after that. I think, I don't know where I saw this. I don't know if it was like in our group chat or if I saw it on Reddit or something. They should switch the dunk thing rather than giving scores. They should just let all the dunks happen and then they should just rank them one, two, three, four, and then just take like whoever had the highest ranked dunks. And then you just get like, points for that. I guess so. I do wonder in that case if there would be some recency bias, if like the person who went last would have some sort of built-in advantage because then people have like forgotten how much they liked the dunk from three yeah. players ago. But yeah, there has to be a better way. And and it's tough because like on one hand, you're like, oh, well, all of us watching, we seem to know that Jalen Brown wasn't doing very well and we should be able to vote. But there would always be a way for people to manipulate that. And then it just becomes a popularity contest of like, well, Jalen Brown is way more famous. Mm -hmm. So if a bunch of Celtics fans decide that they all want to vote for him, regardless of how good his dunks are, then that also won't work. But I do think, and full credit to Mac McClung, who's an incredible dunker, and also played his ass off in the G League versus, mm -hmm. you know, rookies game. It's not the same when you don't have the star players in it. Like, yeah, Vince Carter doing what he did, part of it was that the dunks were incredible, but part of it was that he was one of the stars of the game at that time, or the emerging stars. Some people like to blame LeBron and say like, oh, well, LeBron never doing it set the tone for this next generation of star players not doing it. But I guarantee you, if you had the likes of like a John ja Morant or Anthony Edwards in the dunk contest, it would be a different tone there would be a different excitement yeah. just leading up to it and uh i don't really know how to fix it maybe just get rid of it <laughs> i don't know we i think we need like four people who are friends that are all good at dunking and very competitive to be like we're doing it this year you know like it, like yeah. how the knicks have all those guys from villanova like it doesn't work because they're not all big dunkers but if there were mm -hmm. like four nba friends who are all good at dunking and they were like this is our year and because they'll actually care because they want to beat each other right that's what 
you would need. But get Ryan Archie Diacono in this dunk contest. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the big ragu in there. Dante DiVincenzo in the dunk <laughs> contest. It'd be great. Jalen Jalen Brunson only doing tiny little barely dunk dunks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> let's do it. And then we've got the All-Star game, which I didn't even watch. But then when I saw the final score was like 211 to 189 or whatever, I was like, all right, I'm out. Good. Glad I didn't watch a second of it. Yeah, I watched it and there was very little to be excited about. Dame Lillard hit a couple half-court shots. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Wait, did I get confused? He did win the three-point contest, right? Yes. Yeah, Dame did. Mm -hmm. And then who won the MVP in the All-Star game? Uh, couldn't tell you, but I could Google it. All-Star game MVP. It was, um, Damian Lillard again. He won both. Yeah, so he did win both. For a second, I got confused because I was like, wait, did he win? He did, yeah, he won. Well, quite a weekend for Dame. Big weekend for Dame. But then Adam Silver, who was very upset when they gave the championship trophy over to Giannis's team, he said something to the effect of like, well, your team scored the most points, so congratulations. And then handed the trophy over. Because apparently there was a lot of talk amongst the players in the league and everything that they were like, we got to try this year. Everyone's got to try this year. And Adam Silver was convinced that they were actually going to try this year. And he had hyped up that people were going to try this year. And then nobody tried. And like, I get it. It's basically their vacation and no one wants to get hurt. And like, there's a lot of teams actively in the hunt to win it this year. So if anyone got hurt at the All-Star game, it would be like especially bad. Right. But I don't know. We need something to make it happen. And I think it's just like, we need just like a menace to get invited to the All-Star game. Like people are talking about all these structural things. We just need one guy to care way too much. And unfortunately, we don't like someone like a Draymond Green or, you know, some or, get oh, Pat Bev in that game. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like if if there was ever a world in which one of these people that is just an absolute basketball person who cares way too much, someone are like far too competitive, then it would work. But we just need someone. And like honestly, that could be Victor Wembanyama starting next year because he was yeah, maybe. furious at Anthony Edwards for shooting with his left hand during the skills challenge because Anthony Edwards is right-handed and he was goofing it. And Anthony Edwards asked about it. And he said, ah, I'm just trying to have fun. And then Victor in a separate interview said, winning is fun. So like maybe mm. Wemby just blocks everyone's shots and they get pissed and then they start trying. Like Wemby could be the all-star game savior. He could be. Yeah, I. it's really tough because I, I do understand what you're saying, right? Like, there's so much money at stake that if they did play really hard and then somebody turns an ankle or something worse happens and they get injured and they're out for the season, then everybody's going to be all over the All-Star game for like, well, why are we, you know, jeopardizing mm-hmm. these guys? It's similar to late baseball reference here. Mm-hmm. Uh, World Baseball Classic last year, which like people care about, but like Jose Altuve got drilled, broke his hand and was out for like the first two months of the year. Um, there was mm-hmm. a closer, I think, who yeah, like, tore his ACL. Had, it, people were, you know. The problem with Altuve is that no one was banging a trash can saying sure. that he was going to get hit with a ball. Sure, so he sure, would have sure. known it was coming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the point is people were upset because, oh, it was the uh, the closer for the Mets who like tore yeah, his he, ACL. Like, celebrated celebrating. Yeah, he celebrated. Celebrating. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. But the thing is, I know the league has changed a lot, but when you look back at those games from the early 2000s, the caliber of players there was just as good as it is now in terms of like their importance in the league. You're, you're talking about like Kobe Bryant going head to head with, uh, I don't know, who was best in the East at that time, but Kevin Garnett Dwayne or Wade. whoever it was. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. so. And then didn't Kobe break Dwayne Wade's nose in an all-star game? Like, I think. I, I'm sorry. I think it was Nash and Kobe. 
Okay. But a, I know somebody broke broken. their nose. Yeah. A nose was broken. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see. So I've heard multiple people float the idea of like changing it less of like on court stuff and more making it like an NBA convention, like make it Comic-Con, but for NBA. Like there's some Reddit threads about it. Jason Concepcion said it on his podcast. Like I do think that maybe we try to skew towards more like other festivities if on court stuff is right. just getting more and more boring because people don't want to try hard. Like it's fine. So if people don't want to like get hurt doing stuff, then just like do other things, whether that's like interviews or other kind of stuff that would still be like fun to watch, but just different, you know? So yeah. I, I do want to I do want to make a quick clarification before we wrap this up. You were right. Mm -hmm. It was Dwayne Wade. And uh, yeah. <laughs> this article says Kobe Bryant, quote, loved Dwayne Wade breaking his nose during an NBA All-Star game. And it says, <laughs> we all know Kobe was crazy about winning and would do pretty much anything to get an edge on his opponent. But this story from Dwayne Wade about the time he accidentally broke Kobe's nose during an All-Star game and picked up the first and only flagrant foul in the event's history just adds to the legend of Kobe's competitive fire. But it basically goes down to Kobe saying that like he loved that he broke his nose <laughs> in an all-star game because it meant that everybody was trying. And uh, yeah, I guess we need more of that energy. Yeah, we just need one person can fix it. And maybe it's Victor Wembanyama. Now, only other thing I want to talk about full court press get a leg in the news is the funny thing that happened around all-star that allowed me to get free NBA league pass for a year. <laughs> So there was this like promotion that the NBA was trying to do. I don't know what the original intention was, but there was this thing where like if you voted on what shoes Jason Tatum wore to the All-Star game, mm -hmm. you were supposed to be able to like get some sort of discount. The purpose of it was like linking your Nike account to your NBA account. I'm I sure see. in one of those things where they're like selling our data around more effectively sure. now. So I think that was their purpose of it. I think you were supposed to get like a discount to Nike or maybe like one free month of NBA League Pass or something. But instead, what happened was you got 12 free months of NBA League Pass premium, which is like you can see all the stuff. There's no commercials. You can watch full replays, everything. So an NBA Twitter account I follow posted it. One of my buddies DM'd it to me, so I actually saw it. And then if you use the code properly, like there was some weird bug stuff that would happen at checkout. But if you looked at your account, you had NBA League Pass for a year. And I'm making sure that I like still have it. But what's great is I got an email from the NBA because they like send you emails every now and then like, hey, you can watch this game or like here are your perks, like, you know, things when you like join a new subscription service. And one of them was called like about your account. And I was like, no, they're going to delete all the yeah, accounts yeah, that yeah. use this thing. And then open it was like, you have the ability to watch replays of games. Did you know that? Like, <laughs> So yeah. I've got free league pass for a year feeling pretty good about it i can't watch nicks games with it which is annoying so i will still right. have to utilize different means of watching the nicks because you can't like stream local market kind of stuff right. but for any other game i'll be watching and the replay is the big thing because then i can just like watch a game the next morning and no commercials and it'll like go through a quicker time i gotta say the league pass does a fabulous job of something that's called all possessions and it's essentially Ooh. like a 30 to 40 minute condensed version of the game where you just fat. It's, it's as if you could just fast forward between every moment of action not happening. And oh, it just shows really you cool. literally every shot that's taken in the game. And it takes like 30 to 40 minutes. It's it's and mostly it would have become like, how I watch Bulls games at this point. Would it also have like misses and blocks and steals and like anything yes. like that? Anytime okay. somebody shoots the ball, anytime there's a possession, it shows you that. But all of the other extraneous stuff is cut out. 
This is like when you, there's uh, Pocket Cast is the podcast app I use, and there's a thing you can do where you like trim silence. I don't do it because it like makes things sound too stressful, mm-hmm. but it feels like that where you're like literally deleting everything that is not right. content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Oh, man. Well, that was Full Court Press. Get a look at the news. And as we alluded to, unlike the All-Star game, we have something very fun to close out this episode. We were able to speak with the man who literally wrote the book on Trash Talk. And it's a very fun time. It's a great interview. And we will close out our episode with that interview with Rafi. So, as promised, the conclusion of this episode will be a very fun interview. We are here joined today by the author of Trash Talk, the only book about destroying your rivals that isn't total garbage. It's Rafi Kohan. Rafi, how's it going? It's going excellently. Thank you all for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Thank you for being here. For the people only listening and not, and not looking at this, I wanted to be known right off the top that I am wearing a shirt that prominently features... Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman, um, two of the all-time get-in-your-head, talk-a-lot-of-shit, and emotionally manipulate you on the basketball court players. So it's in honor of your of your book. You know, Adam, now you're making me regret not wearing my uh, custom-printed shirt with John Starks dunking over Horace Grant and Michael Jordan. Wow. <laughs> I assume are you, you're also a Knicks fan, right? Yeah. Well, as Let's I say go. to Mike, who's also a Knicks fan, um, you know, I, I hope the memory of that will keep you going for the next 10 to 20, <laughs> 30 years as I get to remember the championship. I'm talking shit right now, just, you know, out of trying to do the bit here. It's all you're going to be able to do for the next 10 to 20 or 30 years while the Bulls keep going for that play. In, you yeah. know, yeah. they keep getting that eight to 10 finish. And I've already, you know, I came to terms with John, that John Starks dunk being the highlight of my, you know, Knicks fandom, you know, when I was 12 years old. So there's, <laughs> there's nothing you can say. I do have to ask only because I unintentionally did it. As you're doing interviews to promote the book, do you find that people are weirdly adversarial and trying to talk shit just because they're getting into the spirit of it? Not a ton, you know, you would expect a little bit of it. Occasionally there might be, you know, like an, um, one question up top that kind of plays with those themes. One interview I did, um, you know, the interviewer asked me to, you know, talk some trash at the oh. end. And so I told her that, you know, these were just very terrible questions that she was asking. Because <laughs> really you just want to cut right at the sort of, at the soul of the person. You sure. make them insecure in kind of like the most destabilizing way. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said that is because that's actually something that someone said to me when I was interviewing them, when I asked them to trash talk me. And I remember Oof. what it felt like. <laughs> it really stung. <laughs> so not a ton. I did when I had a uh, book launch event, I brought in some hecklers, you know, to talk <laughs> shit to me Amazing. while we were doing a Q&A. Which was fun in theory and less so when they had a few too many to drink, but it still sure. mm. was worth a, worth a try. That is the source of most heckling. As a stand-up comedian, I can attest to the fact that that is oh, sure. largely where heckling comes from. And we'll, we'll get to this later, but I was fascinated at the part of your book that talks about roast battles because I've done some of them. And it's a a very interesting experience. We'll get to that later. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. And I think what's fun is, you know, you had you had reached out and I understood the concept and was getting ready to read the copy. And, you know, I figured it was going to be covering lots of different elements of trash talk, not necessarily just basketball, even though I knew that was a, a focus of it. And I figured it would go into the history a little bit. I did not think that history would start with like ancient Greeks and Shakespeare (laughs) and that far. And when I was 
was on page two and you were talking about like the earliest instances, I was immediately hooked like, all right, like this guy is taking the correct approach to this. When it comes to researching that, you know, that's stuff that can't just be done in an interview and it's not something that you can just like pull up a YouTube video of Gary Payton's best trash talk examples or something like that. What was the process like of really opening up the the history books to figure out the earliest instances of trash talk and its origins. He just slid into Socrates' DMs and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I appreciate you saying that, first of all. Um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because I think trash talk, especially in the U.S., kind of gets written off as this, you know, like unimportant, frivolous thing that's only existed for the last 30 years, like since black people started playing basketball professionally, basically. Like that's when the term came about. But, you know, as I make the case that like, this is really like an ancient behavior of competition that has existed since the beginning of time. It's not something that should be, should be exceptionalized. And I really wanted to like connect that thread and show that arc, you know, that we may not always recognize it, but it's always with us. It's, it always takes some form. And for the book, you know, I wanted to come at the topic from basically every angle I could think of. Maybe it's just because I don't know. I'm, I'm insecure about having like a narrow idea, <laughs> but I want to attack it from every possible angle, including, you know, historically, psychologically, you know, talking to moral philosophers, talking to linguists and, and on and on. And so in terms of the history component specifically, I talked to, you know, scholars of antiquity <laughs> and, you know, learning about Greek invective poetry. I, I reached out to a guy. I mean, you do use Google. I mean, Google ultimately is your friend. <laughs> Wikipedia, not so much, but Google is your friend. And and I just stumbled across like a, a course curriculum from this guy. This At the time, he was like a teaching. He wasn't a teaching assistant, but he was not a full-time professor who was teaching a class that had trash talk in the title of the course. And it was a course in the classics department. I believe it was at Northwestern at the time. I think he's since moved on to the University of Chicago. Sorry, Jonah, if you're listening. <laughs> and, and so I, I dialed him up and, and he just had this incredible knowledge. He's a fan of rap. He loves rap battles, loves hip hop. And the, so he really got into it from that perspective in some ways, sort of like there's these insult, poetic insult contests that existed in pre-Islamic Arabic courts, right? He told me about the flighting contests that existed in more recently, like almost modern times by comparison, you know, in like the 15th and 16th century, um, you know, in Scotland and uh, Nordic cultures. And he brought it all the way back to, you know, to the Iliad and the, the Homeric poems. And of course, you can find an example as well of early trash talk in the Bible. When David says to Goliath, you know, I will yeah, cut you down and chop off your head, big man, or something to that effect, and thereby baits him to come in range of his shepherd mm -hmm. sling. <laughs> you know, so it's like even like these various functionalities, yes. and, and trash talk does have like, you know, a, a variety of functionalities. It's not just one mm. thing. You can see all of them come into play, and it's all about when people are going head to head with one another, because talking trash, talking shit, you're raising the stakes of competition, right? You're presenting a challenge to your opponent. You're suggesting on like the most basic level that they don't have what it takes to succeed, right? right. And, and the question then is, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to respond to that? And you can use that to various purposes, again, right? To, to try to distract, to try to actually increase the, 
you know, the arousal, the literal like, you know, anxiety and arousal levels in someone's body to up your own motivation levels or your teammates' motivation levels. Or when we, you know, this is not so much uh, in basketball, but when you look at combat sports, you think about Muhammad Ali and Conor McGregor to simply invest attention in it, right? Because by raising the stakes, you make this thing matter more than it otherwise would. Mm -hmm. It almost becomes existential. Like, like, who cares about the Knicks playing the Celtics? I mean, I do. I'm a Knicks fan. But, like, there's no inherent reason to care yeah. about it. It's only because we make these things matter. And trash talk is a way to make something matter. Now, one thing that I think is really interesting about the David and Goliath reference, um, and I'm curious what your perspective is on this, do you feel like trash talk is more accepted when it's coming from the perspective of the underdog, meaning like David talking shit to Goliath. It's like, yeah, we're rooting for him. He's the underdog. And I think, you know, you look at a Patrick Beverly, who's like clearly never one of the best players on the court. And I think some Shut people think mouth. he's annoying, but generally, <laughs> generally, um, I think people kind of enjoy it because it's like, oh, well, he's shit talking someone who's clearly better than him. <clears throat> However, when you have a Kevin Garnett, who's a great player talking shit and, and you know, proverbially punching down on Charlie Villanueva or whoever it is, I think sometimes that's framed in a different way. Do you feel like where that person stands within the league or within whatever their profession is impacts how people perceive their trash talk? That's such a good question for a number of reasons. Um, and I'm almost, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get all of them before I lose my train of thought. <laughs> so I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to start. But First of all, I'm going to start by saying this. I mentioned this in the book, right, that there this phenomenon within sports that uh, that everybody wants to say nobody believes in us, right? Every team mm -hmm. wants to say nobody believes in us, right? Like we're the upstarts, we're the underdogs, uh, we're going to do it in spite of all this doubt. And oftentimes they'll do that even when they're clearly not the underdogs, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's, it's, I mean, it's Michael Jordan inventing slights about himself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Kobe would do that all the time. Tons of, you know, tons of people do that to sort of, you know, increase motivation for themselves to, you know, create tension and stakes. But one way to think about this, and I'll get back to the question you asked about, like, our perception of it later in a second. But one way to think about this is in terms of a concept known as loss aversion, right? And that loss aversion is um, sort of an idea within behavioral economics that the prospect of losses weigh in our minds you know, twice as heavily psychologically as the prospect of potential rewards, right? They're twice as painful as the prospect of rewards are pleasurable. And so the more that you can make someone think about what they have to lose, it actually makes it more a more threatening situation, hmm. right? You start to get into that, into a threat mindset, which is like one of the sort of like biological uh, states that I talked about in the book. You know, one of the mechanisms by which trash talk can actually have, you know, a psychological scientific impact on performance. So if you make someone think about what they have to lose, and actually you only have to make them think that they have something to lose, right? Because by mm -hmm. having something to lose, you know, that primes you for the threat mindset. I'll give you a quick um, science study that I don't mention in the book, but I think is really interesting. Um, there is a study out of Cornell almost probably about 30 years ago right now where they looked at uh, a coffee mug and they gave the coffee mug to like half the students in this course and they didn't give them to the other. And they asked everybody, like the, the half without the mug, how much would you pay for this mug? And they asked the other half, how much would you accept to sell this mug? And the values were completely imbalanced, right? You know, the folks who didn't have a mug were like, 
that mug? I'll pay a dollar. The people who had the mug, they're like, this mug? You know, $5 at least, right? right? Mm -hmm. And this is called the endowment effect. And it's the idea that when we have something to lose, we believe it has more value. So the idea of, Hmm. of framing yourself as having nothing to lose because nobody believes in us is incredibly psychologically protective, right? Because it keeps us away from going into that threat mindset. That is the Patrick Beverly, the guy who's not supposed to be here, right? The guy who's mm-hmm. playing with nothing to lose. And I I love Patrick Beverly so much for a lot of reasons, even though he's like a maniac and he should not have pushed Chris Paul, even though Chris Paul probably deserved it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's talked about how like, He doesn't care if a guy dunks on him, right? He doesn't care if someone crosses him over and he looks like a fool and it goes viral because he's like, whatever, like what my reputation have at it. Right. Like, (laughs) right. But, but that, and that's incredibly healthy psychologically. So in terms of like our perception of that, regardless of whether or not someone is or isn't an underdog, you know, in their own head, I do think, and this, I think we start to go into questions of like morality in some ways. And I draw some distinctions within the book. I mean, one of the things I, I wanted to do throughout the research was really kind of understand like, what is trash talk anyway? Like, like everything can't be trash talk. Like someone being an asshole to someone, we're doing a disservice to the concept like of trash talk, like as a kind of mode of communication, you know, within you right. know, competition in particular, if we just say, you know, yeah, everything being rude to the cashier at Starbucks is not trash talking. You're just being an asshole. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> and so one. So the, the power dynamics are, I think, really important. Right. I think the idea of talking trash by presenting this challenge, it is, in fact, inviting a response. Right. It is the suggestion mm-hmm. that we are on an even playing field. So when you're punching down, when you're bullying, you know, you're not inviting a response. What you're trying to do is silence. You're trying to shut someone up. Right. This is Donald Trump on Twitter as the president of the U.S., you know, Mm -hmm. talking shit to like citizens (laughs) of the United (laughs) States, uh, civilians versus, you know, candidate Trump in 2016 Mm -hmm. talking to Marco Rubio on the stage. Whether you agree with like his style or not, you can understand there's a qualitative difference there. Mm hmm. And talk about somebody who loves to frame themselves as an underdog always. Like, nobody's had it worse. No one's treated it worse than me. Uh, you know, that's totally. the, that's I the only narrative. had a million bajillion yeah. dollars to my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so something that I think you touch on in that response and definitely gets brought up in the book is just, like, the appreciation of trash talk as more than just, like talking shit. And I think it first starts when you kind of even talk about in an early chapter, just like the the name of it is a bit of a misnomer. Like the name of trash talk feels very much like a like a white journalist being like, oh, these things that the, that other people are doing kind of thing, where when you get later on into the chapter about Gary Payton and Kevin Garnett, you really get into how the trash talk is strategic. And I felt so seen as someone who, when I play pickup basketball, I talk a good amount of trash. And it's purely just from like a competitive standpoint, like when you got into people saying that like Gary Payton was very nice, like outside the lines and it was purely just like a bit of competitive edge. I was like, yes, this is it. Like, why can't everyone understand this? So when you're interviewing Gary Payton and you're learning about him and KG, just like what they brought to the table, like from a competitive advantage perspective, 
what was that like just to hear like the actual competitors and people who played with them talk about like using this almost like the same kind of skill, especially in KG where it's like, oh, LeBron learned like his new post move, like the Kevin Garnett thing, like felt, you know, he came into the league, wasn't a trash talker, realized it could help him and then like developed his trash talk game. <laughs> and invented the after the whistle goaltend, a, a, a physical trash talk, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. A, a nonverbal, physical uh, <laughs> type of psychological gamesmanship. You know, it, it is amazing to hear these guys talk about it because it's so inherent to who they are as competitors and especially Gary Payton, because, you know, are all are we born trash talkers or do we grow into it? You know, it's like on some level, I'm, on some level, I'm sure some of us are more, you know, um, predisposed you know, to, you know, to accept that, you know, that level of, of challenge, to want to present that level of challenge, to be verbal in one way or another. But of course, so much of this is cultural, is nurture as well. It's how you learn what competition is about. And, you know, so like with Gary Payton, I mean, trash talk was ingrained in him, like, in almost every aspect of his life. I mean, his dad was a trash talker. When he went out and played, you know, pickup basketball in the playgrounds, it was all trash talk when he did, you know, when he played, you know, organized ball, middle school, high school, college. I mean, high school in particular, you know, trash talk was part of the game because it was as much about putting out this test as it was about how people respond or not, right? And and you can think about it in, in the sense that like, Someone like Gary Payton, who's an aggressive and antagonistic trash talker, right, is putting this just like, you know, machine gun, uh, I mean, literally nonstop, relentless, my favorite quote from Michael Cage, but how after you play against Gary Payton, you just want to go find a library or someplace quiet, you know? <laughs> I wrote that quote down, it's so good. <laughs> you know, but it's like, he is being so antagonistic and so you know, explicit in his suggestion that you're going to fail, that you don't have what it takes, that I'm tough and you're not, that you almost like he I'm not saying that Gary Payton's not tough. He is. But like he almost doesn't have to be because how many people are just going to buckle under that pressure without even calling that bluff? Right. Like it is purely a mental game. It is the, you're trying to find out if somebody is going to be able to focus on the things that are task relevant to use the term of sort of sports psychology, right? You know, that matter to the game that's taking place around them, or are they going to be distracted by things like Gary Payton talking at them, by their own emotions that may be running a little wild, by their physiology that's getting a little bit, you know, overly excited because they want to shut Gary Payton up so much. Um, and guys, I mean, none of the athletes that I spoke with, you know, Gary Payton, you know, like like nobody like used really like the terms of science that I ended up including in the book, you know, after having talked to sports psychologists and neurobiologists and linguists and, and everyone else who kind of like could more understand not that linguists are so, you know, sciencey in that way, but still uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Like, a different approach than just the competitive yeah. sports angle. But what was really interesting was actually then sort of like mapping this language of science onto the experiences of these players and being like, Oh, you're, you're telling me Gary Payton, I'm going to go at his head all day. Right. And like, and I'm going to find the like, and I'm just going to tell you that straight out the gate or how he would say he would run up to a guy and tell him, you know, pick your game up motherfucker and then slap him on his ass and his words, hella hard. <laughs> right. Like, it's, 
It's and but and then you actually talk to the sports psychologist who can tell you what is actually happening, you know, in terms of like the performance psychology of a player competing within the context of the game that would actually de- you know detract from this person. So it was incredible both to hear these guys talk about it and talk about it, you know, in the same way that they would talk about learning to drive left or picking up a new post move and then being able to then map the kind of language of science on top of it. I just, yeah, I geeked out on that stuff too. In fact, I worried for a while that people would think, you know, I was being a little too nerdy at times. (laughs) No such thing. No such thing as big nerds. We, we fully embrace it. And I don't know, I really liked it. And as someone who's a trash talker, it was weird because you would write some of the things about what Gary Payton did. And I was like, Ooh, I should use that. Like my favorite, because yeah, I haven't played organized ball in a while, but you know, even so I wouldn't have a situation where I could specifically do this. I've just done pickup stuff, but I loved the thing where it would be like Gary Payton would talk trash. The player would mess up because the player's trying to show up Gary. The coach would get mad at the player for messing up. Then the coach would bench the player and then Gary Payton would trash talk the guy in the bench. And I was like, oh, I've never trash talked someone on the bench. Damn it. I, guess I should do that. <laughs> Totally. I wanted to ask, what is your trash talk game? Like, you know, how do you, like, what kind of trash talker are you? <laughs> if I can jump in, because oh, yeah. I've yes, only, I've known Mike it. for <laughs> almost 20 years. I actually first met Mike uh, when I was his, I was helping him, I was teaching him tennis. I was like in college and he was in, I don't know, middle school or high school. So we've known each other for a long time. I don't remember any tennis specific trash talk, but I will say the first time that you and I played basketball together, I had known you for 15 plus years just as friends. And your basketball encore personality does not even resemble your regular personality. I was thrown by it. And I think you and I were on the same team. But it was one of those times where Mike came out to a a run that I had in Astoria when I lived there. And like, you know, when the the understanding is like when you bring someone into the fray, you know, they're like, you know, it's a good person. They're going to be good to play with. And I'm not saying that Mike wasn't, but there was way more shit talk than I was expecting. And I was like, am I going to have to apologize to the thread? Like, I didn't know. It's never, I wouldn't say it's it's like over the top or inappropriate or mean. Like, I don't recall you like insulting someone's appearance. It's all within the context of playing, but you'll definitely like, you know, get up in someone's grill defensively. You'll you'll like chirp at people. How would you describe your, now that I've given the, the backstory here? No, I think you absolutely nailed it. And I think like to, to go to a quote in the book that you had about Gary Payton, you said, I think you said something like for Gary Payton, it was never personal even when it was personal. I think the thing for me is I would take out the even if it was personal. I'm not going to make fun of someone's like appearance or, you know, their family situation or anything like that. But if you if you airball a shot, I will say, ooh, close. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and if you, especially in pickup, if you like complain about, you know, like me, because I'll do the like KG thing that you talked about where like he kind of like puts his head into people. Like you interviewed the referee. The referee said like he's doing these things that aren't necessarily fouls, but they're just annoying. Like I'll do those things. And then if someone complains, I'll just be like, just call a foul. I have to just call a foul. So I think it's it's a lot of just like making people feel bad about themselves, but because of their performance. So like if someone does, like I'll keep the stats. So like if someone misses three in a row, I'll be like, ah, four times a charm, you'll get it. Um, or there was a time where like there was a, a college pickup game I was playing 
and there was a guy who like kept shooting threes and missing them. And I would just be like, I would just say like, oh, leave it, leave it, leave it. And I wouldn't guard him. And then he finally made his sixth three-pointer attempt. So he was one for six. And then to me, he said, leave that bitch. And then I said, oh man, one for six. Jeez, I'm really going to have to guard you tougher, aren't I? You know, like it's just pointing out people's poor performance. And it's really just the like, I recognize I'm not the best player on the court. So if someone can like take their energy and expound it on trying to show me up for no good reason, then I know I'm helping the team. Well, and that's that's really the the interesting thing about trash talk is like, it's not always effective. You learn who you can and cannot trash talk because mm-hmm. like I personally, when somebody's shit talking me when I'm playing basketball, there are times where I have let it motivate me and then I play better. But there are also times where, to Mike's point, like you do something foolish, right? If somebody's going at you, you might take a, a three-pointer 10 feet behind the three-point line just to prove a point and miss it badly. You probably wouldn't have done that if that person wasn't in your head telling you that you couldn't make that shot. Totally. I mean, and it's, I mean, there's, that's one of the interesting things about trash talk is how many avenues there are to kind of get in someone's head or otherwise bait a poor decision or just poor performance in general. But I mean, right. Like you can think about playing pickup and just saying, I'll get, you know, I'll give it to you. Right. You know, take it Mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going at somebody's ego. You're trying to bait them to do something that's not one of their strengths. Right. And you're potentially also making them sort of ignore everything else that's happening around them because they're so focused on what you're saying and trying to shut you up. I love that both in terms of one for the Mike, I think you have I know we, we haven't gotten like super deep into the science, but I would suggest that you have a higher eyes off level. Right. <laughs> Which so eyes off stands for individual zones of optimal functioning. And it's a concept from sports psychology that, ref, you know, that refers to a, a relatively newer idea that every single person needs like a personally appropriate level of anxiety to perform at their best. And when I say anxiety, I'm not talking about like, you know, worrying about, you know, like what you're what you're going to get for your grandma's 90th birthday next week. But <laughs> like, you know, sympathetic arousal, like, you know, heart rate, your breath sweaty palms, these kinds of physiological arousals that relate to anxiety in our bodies. And some people need a high level of anxiety to be at their best. You know, that's Kevin Garnett, you know, who is always in a frenzy and screaming at the crowd, right? And the easy comparison is you just look at Kevin Garnett versus Tim Duncan, because Tim Duncan probably had a lower level of, of, <laughs> of eyes off, in eyes off level. And so by talking trash, Garnett was both trying to likely get himself into his own zone and also potentially raise Duncan's level. So Mike, when you're you like, it does not seem like you shy from the pressure in that way, right? Like, and pressure is, is anxiety inducing any kind of threat can be anxiety inducing. And that's not necessarily bad. It's also about how we interpret these things, right? Like if we say to ourselves, this is a sign that I'm excited. This is a sign that I can handle this right, then we're likely to enter into a, a challenge state where our body basically prepares biologically to take action. Whereas if we tell ourselves, oh, this is not good, I'm afraid, I don't know that I have what it takes, we enter into a threat state, which we you know mentioned earlier. Um, and so knowing that you have a higher level of eyes off and using that to potentially throw off someone else, again, it could be just as simple as baiting a poor decision because they're getting angry um, or they're indulging ego and pride, which is mentally weak behavior. Um, 
Or it could be that someone else is like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And they start to get revved up. I personally, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like Adam. I, uh, you know, I wrote this in the book, but like there's been very few times when I have talked genuine trash along the lines that Mike is describing, <laughs> like that kind of aggressive confrontational trash where I'll say something like, you know, give me the ball or this guy can't guard me or whatever. And on those few occasions that I've done it, I could feel my heart beating faster, right? I could f- mm-hmm. I could feel like the butterflies in my stomach. I could feel that anxiety and I didn't like it, right? I didn't I didn't <laughs> I didn't know if I could back it up and that made me yeah. feel scared. <laughs> you know, entered a threat state. I would much prefer actually adopting going back to something we talked earlier, the underdog posture. That's where mm-hmm. I like to live. Sure. If I'm playing against a guy who's a foot taller than me, and he drives, and I have quick hands. That's something I can do. I, you know, I, I'm quick, and I have quick hands, and I'm, and I can usually get my hand on the ball. You're driving, and and I will likely knock that shit away, especially if you're a foot taller than me because you're you're dribbling it up to your hip. And then yeah. after I do it, I'll be, oh man, you can't even get by me. Like that's in, <laughs> that's embarrassing, right? I, that's embarrassing is a, is one I very much enjoy to employ. But yes, I I do a similar thing where like defensively, like I'm six foot, but I feel like I can guard up in size and my favorite trash talk thing to do is when a guy will like post me up and then he'll say the phrase mouse in the house which is like ah there's someone so small guarding me give me the ball and if anyone ever says mouse in the house to me i immediately reply yeah yeah yeah, mouse in the house give him the ball give him the ball because then they're like what (laughs) why does why is he embracing this now when you when you stop him do you do the too short hands i have it because too short like i feel like that raising popularity post covid and i have not played like a serious amount of pickup since covid i don't think i would do too short though i don't know it's i think fun. i would probably hit him with it that's fun. embarrassing too short's fun like yeah, yeah. And especially so. when it's like a little guy doing something on a on a big guy like that's it's very funny. right i i think for like the average height of people i play pickup with i'm a little too tall to hit the too short like i, I be, like yeah. six foot like what am i gonna do There's if you score on a six like six, six two, guy then sure but that, yeah. yeah like if i'm playing someone genuinely like absurdly taller than yeah. me then like for sure so rafi if you're not like a big trash talk guy what was the inspiration to write literally the book on trash talk <laughs> i mean i do love trash talk <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't you just don't employ you're, just, you're an appreciator yeah, not a participator I mean, and, and i am you know I, it's not that i'm not into the psychological gamesmanship aspect of it it's just more that like that particular avenue of it is not the right one for me. I'll get back to the actual book question in a second. But like if I am playing, I like to take the lay of the land and you want to see, I mean, like you want to see like, you know, who's vulnerable or moments of vulnerability, insecurity, right? Like when might someone get like, like let you get in their head? Sometimes you can get in someone's head, you know, even more deeply and more disruptively by being nice to someone, right? By being polite. Mm-hmm. Like because one of one of the avenues one of the pathways by which trash talk can work, right, is causing distraction, right, stealing someone's attention. And actually, I love your mouse in the house response because one of the best ways to steal someone's attention is just to be unexpected, yeah, right, to do something that you don't expect. Be like, what? What are you saying? Right. And so it's like being polite, you know, is one way to do that. Being weird, being crazy. I mean, doing literally anything that like sort of violates the model of this pickup world or basketball world that we're engaging in takes a moment of someone's concentration. And then it's on them to kind of refocus. And depending on their mental skills, they may or may not be able to do it. But I have always loved trash talk. I mean, I grew up, grew up, I mean, I was a I was a kid of the 90s, right? I, you know, watched the, you know, the the Knicks teams and uh and you know Reggie Miller. I hate Reggie Miller, 
more than I hate Michael Jordan. Uh, I a thousand percent agree. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, Michael Jordan, there was like inevitability. Like, yeah, he's. I mean, I remember listening on my Walkman, like you know, to some playoff games when I wasn't able to be by a TV, and just I can still hear the calls of just like Michael Jordan pulling up from mid range and be like, of course. Uh, <laughs> but with Reggie, it wasn't inevitable, and it was that much more painful as a result. And then of course he would rub salt in the wounds after you know insult to injury every time but there was also something like real there is something really compelling about trash talk right there's something magnetic about guys who talk trash the gary paytons the reggie millers it is attention grabbing it does steal our attention right there's a reason muhammad ali and conor mcgregor do this on the on the world stage to draw eyeballs it makes this thing matter more than it otherwise would really and for guys who talk public trash you know even if the public is just like within the context of a game there's something noble about that right because it takes courage to talk trash right mm -hmm. for the same reason that i don't like doing it <laughs> you know because i'm cowardly in those moments perhaps but right. like well you're you creating are, a target on your back you're creating to, a target you on your up. back and if you don't back it up everybody you've done you've done so publicly and that creates mm -hmm. embarrassment and there are like deep primal like you know psychological and biological triggers that that connects to that like creates a very like um upsetting response for people, right? It's this idea of the fear of ostracization from the tribe, the fear of, of social rejection, right? This literally goes back to when we were forming our original social collectives, right? That like, if you're deemed not to belong, you're going to get kicked out of the tribe. And if you're kicked out of the tribe, it's going to be harder to get food. It's going to be harder to protect yourself, all these things. So this is, it's literally about survival on a biological level. So there is something brave, right? There is something like courageous about putting that kind of challenge out because that's what you're putting on the line. I mean, like from the most, again, you know, primal perspective. And yeah, and again, I played basketball my whole life and there's never been a book about trash talk. Like this is literally the first ever book about trash talk. And I played, you know, I just, I just turned 40 uh, last year and I played, you know, pick up ball at the YMCA in Brooklyn and around playground courts, you know, throughout my twenties and thirties. Guys talk trash. They're always around trash talkers. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it was always really interesting to me how, like, they're not the same. Like, one guy who comes in and talks shit is like everybody's friend, right? We're, you're dapping them up. This is hilarious. You're adding to the spirit of competition. And then Randy comes in and, like, and he's just an ass. Fucking asshole, Randy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Randy. <laughs> and, yeah. and, like, and it has this more toxic vibe to it. I actually, so the way I got into it was actually more from like kind of like a craft perspective. Like I wanted to know what made a great trash talker, like what, like treating it the same way as you would. Like we talked earlier about learning like great footwork in the post or something like that. But then when you sort of triangulate that with these different functionalities, you start to realize that there's really like a whole rich body of possibility, um, you know, of research, but also just in terms of like, you know, utilitarian value or, or, or in terms of consequence and where this stuff leads um, and just the function of it. So one response I got when I, when I pitched this book, you know, not obviously not every editor you send it to, you know, gives you a book deal. You just want, you just need one. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but one, you know, said like, I think this is more of a magazine story, right? Like this is a great idea. It's more of a magazine story. And I was like, no, man, you don't get it. Like you don't see like this is this is deep. This is wide sort of thing. So I really I wanted to understand all that. And I also thought we we're ignoring something kind of like one fundamental to us as human beings. Right. Like this. I Like we have been talking shit 
since the beginning of we've been talking shit as long as we've been talking. Right. It is the mm -hmm. language of competition. This is how we communicate. And when we sort of dismiss it as something frivolous, as something not worth taking seriously, we misunderstand kind of what's taking place in those moments. And when that happens, there can be like serious social consequences, right? One of which could be like what happened in the 90s when trash talk became a phenomenon because of sports editors being like, what is this? But then on the immediate heels of that, being like, oh, this is unsportsmanlike. We should control and punish behavior, right? But it's like that happened and that became racialized and stigmatized and it had uneven fallout because we were not understanding how this connected to kind of like human nature and human behavior more broadly. But also, I mean, you could think about contemporary politics and even not so contemporary. Now, 2016 is, you know, kind of a while ago at this point, mm -hmm. crazily, and, crazily enough. But like understanding how a politician, a person like Trump uses trash talk is important for also understanding then like what its effects are and how to respond to it. So like when we ignore it, when we dismiss it, we, we misunderstand all of those things. Right. Well, and, and this is actually kind of a perfect transition because I would say that when you see Trump's debate style, he is like fundamentally an insult comic. Like that's essentially what he's doing is doing a roast battle that nobody consented to or asked for. And like getting back to your, your point earlier about like everyone needs a certain amount of anxiety to to perform. Mike is a, is a podcaster, but he also does live shows. Um, I, I'm a stand up comic. I've been doing it half my life at this point. And people will still ask me like, oh, do you get nervous before shows? And my answer is always like, Yes, not the same way that I did when I was starting out. And I genuinely was concerned that I wouldn't do well or that I would bomb. But my opinion is like, I don't want to get to a point where I don't have at least some anxiety because to me, that means I don't give a shit anymore. And I, I think that's when when complacency comes into it. And when you wrote about roast battle um, and Mike, are you familiar with the, the idea of like roast battles yeah. between comics? Oh, so, oh, I've been in a few. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the interesting thing about that uh, you know, in opposition to sports is that in roast battles, at least the ones that I've done, there's a certain amount of consent built into it, right? Where like, not only are you agreeing to roast this particular person, but in my experience, we, I would sit down with that person or get on the phone with them. We would give each other like personal information about each other. And then if you're not a jerk, you'd be like, is there anything that you don't want me to speak about? Right now, if someone says like, well, I'm really self-conscious about my nose, my hair, my eyes. Don't talk about my family. Don't talk about like you're like, well, we just shouldn't do this. But generally speaking, if someone's like, I don't care if you talk about the fact that my dad died, but like, please don't talk about my ears because I'm self-conscious about them. Generally, you would respect that. But I, I did three roast battles. I won two of them. And the only one that I lost, somebody like escalated it to a point that I wasn't expecting. And I was just not ready to did meet them. Did you not them. have the back pocket no. joke? I did mm. not. And I only, my policy was like, I will only roast my actual friends. Like, I don't want to be set up on yeah. like a roast battle blind date because like it will hurt more if it's some random person doing it. If I know it's someone who actually values me as a friend and likes me, I'm happy to do it. But yeah, yeah I was just fascinated by by that like element of it and also the idea of like can this exist where it is without being held to the same scrutiny as we do in society and yeah. the same goes on the court for basketball players or whomever else and we're seeing that distinction where like yeah you can talk shit but if part of talking shit is like using a derogatory slur people are not going to be super thrilled about it yeah there's so much in what you just said. And that's uh, so first of all, I was actually just in Austin this past weekend and I judged the roast battle. Uh, the oh, Comedy amazing. Mothership. 
Um, cool. So cool. Because I yeah, I mean, related to the book because I spent sure. some time, you know, so much time with those guys, and I went down and and I mean, I was uh, I was certainly you know nervous to be on stage there, just like you know. I mean, before this podcast, before I do anything, it's almost like clockwork. It's like 10 minutes beforehand. I like feel my heart start to go a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I literally tell myself, I'm like, oh, that's a sign that I'm getting ready for this. Like I'm mm-hmm. getting excited. I'm getting, and that's, I mean, and this goes into trash talk. It's the performance psychology of it. That like the way you interpret these things is super important. Your body is upregulating to give you the energy, the, the quote unquote fuel that you need to perform at your best. But roast battle is really interesting. Okay, so from the consent and opt-in perspective, it's a really interesting and 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 tough to parse debate. You know, at, when you try to sort of um, port that over completely to sports, because like this is very that is very clearly like an opt-in place, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then part, that's partly why the lines are are as far off into the horizon as they are, <laughs> yeah. right? In terms of offensiveness, and in sports, you know, one of the conversations from a moral philosophy perspective is like, are you inherently opting in to this kind of abuse simply by playing, right? Like there's a magic circle, you know, anytime you play a game or you do, you know, you know, you're participating in a contest, there's what's known as like a magic circle that's drawn around it. I, I made a square with my hand, as I said, circle. Uh, but, 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 it's, but the idea is that the rules within the circle are different than they are in you know the world beyond. There, there are different rules here. Do we all agree to what those rules are all the time? Like, did Charlie Villanueva agree to be called a cancer patient just because he wanted to play basketball? Like, or is... <laughs> yeah that, right. no but it's, it's almost it's almost the equivalent of like you ever walk into a restaurant and they're like we're filming here today so by virtue of walking through this door you have consented to being yes. part of this and you're like well i don't know if i mm-hmm. really know what the terms are here and that's i think that's a really good point because it's like and they're great but also, the terms are yeah. great Right. Right. It's right. Like, right. Right. Like, like there is no rule book about this stuff. Like, this is why I, I really wanted to have the kind of like moral philosophy mm-hmm. discussion in the book, because like I don't really land somewhere because it's hard to land somewhere. You know, it's more about showing that like these are kind of the tension points. Right. Like, mm-hmm. even if you and I agree that there is a line somewhere about you know what's going too far. Right. Maybe I I'll tell Mike, you know what? Don't make fun of how many three pointers I missed because I'm very insecure about that. But right, but it's like, yeah, but we're playing basketball. Right. Uh, but, R- but sure, but yeah. you know, but but I but I will tell him, you know, that again, he looks like a a, a cancer patient or his dog. I know that his dog died last week, and I'm going to make fun of that, and that's not too far. But even beyond that, even if we, you know, there will be someone else. There will be a Kevin Garnett. He'll say. I don't care where your line is. The whole point mm-hmm. is to go beyond the line, right? Right. So th- their scholars, they break it down in this way. You know, there's two terms. Is it ex- essential or extraneous to competition? That's what a lot of the mm-hmm. more philosophers will say, right? If it's essential to the competition, then like it's fine. If it's extraneous, then it has no place. The people who are on the side of you know pro trash talk would say that like, you know, mental skills and mental competition, you know, playing a psychological game is just as important for this contest as the physical one. But then on the flip side, you'll have folks who'll start quoting Kant at you and say that, you know, it, it's inherently wrong to use someone, to treat someone like an object, you know, for manipulation and you can't in, insult someone and none of this is, is acceptable. And if you take, you know, your my opponent's position to its sort of logical end, then why can't I say anything since we don't really mean mm-hmm. anything by this stuff anyway? So it's gray area stuff. What I also thought 
was interesting about the going back to your point about how the one time you lost someone went over the top mm-hmm. on you is so many of the roast battle comics that I talked to were would tell me that it's like even if you you know and they almost all have right these kinds of like meetings ahead of time right or it's just over text and we'll you know we'll exchange yeah. we'll get to one know one another because you want the battle to be good right sure this is a partnership if every joke is, is like he's not funny like it's just not a good roast yeah it's not and you want to it's like it's like professional wrestling you want to put right. your opponent over right mm-hmm. if they got a good joke you got to you know you got a golf clap sure. at it you know um but mm-hmm. almost all of them would tell me like, OK, they told me they don't want me to make fun of the fact that, you know, whatever. She told me she, you know, she just tried anal for the first time. This is something that right. someone told me. Um, <laughs> that, I'm not just pulling that out of my head. <laughs> yeah. For, you yeah. know, just pull some from the blue. You're not just pulling it out of your ass. Sorry. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm very nah, sorry. There, I'm very it is, sorry. there it is. 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 But like, but they would go there anyway. Like they would have a joke anyway right. prepared because there are so many instances because it's mm-hmm. like in the heat of that moment, right? Somebody like if you feel threatened in that moment because it's not going well or your anxiety is going too much and you're be- you know, beyond your eyes off, like maybe you will panic and say something you're not supposed to say. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I was I, flustered for sure. Yeah. And like the funny thing is, in the years since, I remember the exact joke and I still know what I think I should have said. Like it's very like Costanza esque. Like, mm, well, the totally. jerk store called and they're running out of you like i i want to fly back to <laughs> yeah. akron to, to zing this guy but <laughs> you should and yeah. you should and you I should. should i should you should. I should no but yeah but, but but it's interesting that it's like so many people like it's like because you're trying to like rope off this kind of like moral space or the you know this ethical space it's like we're not even going to go there and that's going to keep our minds clean but then mm-hmm. the comics go there anyway <laughs> you know so right. many of them because they want they don't want to be caught off guard if someone does cross the line yeah, exactly. It's always a negotiation. Right. Right. And it's different when something like that, like the performance is the trash talk, whereas with basketball, it is part of the game. And that's why I feel like the line to cross is going to be different, especially if you're having a conversation. Like like I said, I'm never calling out anyone's like physical traits or stuff like that. And I've had people say like weird stuff to me where I will even drop my thing and be like, don't say that. Like someone called me the R word once. Like he, like he was like, what are you, you know, R word? And I was like, I just like very serious was like, what are you doing? And like someone on my team was like, what are you doing? So I think there are within things where like the spectacle of it is not the trash talk. I think those lines come a lot more close and things shouldn't go as far because I think at that point it does become extraneous. Like, sure, make fun of me for being bad at basketball. Don't use a a slur. Like, that's super strange. That's also literally, that's how norms shift in society. Like, like, Mm -hmm. trash talk is, is very interesting from like a it is a test not only of like someone's ability to respond, but it's also a test of how they're going to respond. And that's true both performatively, but it's also true ethically. It's also true in terms of like the things that we abide socially, right? So it's like by someone calling you the R word, your response actually matters quite a lot in that moment. Because when you push back on it, you're saying, no, let's not shift the norms here. Or let's in fact even tighten the norms a little bit if you think that this is cool. Because... Like, I'm not okay with this and I'm going to push back. Whereas even if it's, you can make a choice in that moment. And this is where actually competitive and moral imperatives sometimes come into tension with one another. If you decide, I I need to focus on my game. Like, I know he said that, but I'm just going to block out that distraction and just get back to what I need to be doing. Even if that happens, you're allowing that to be said. You're allowing that norm to shift, even if it's just the context of, you know, a pickup basketball game. And I find that to be a really interesting tension that like, 
you know, like Carmelo Anthony, I think it was a couple years ago, he called that a fan, you know, for saying something racist. And when I saw that happen, I was like, good. Like, of course, I'm yeah. glad you did it. But at the same time, because I was reporting this book, I wondered to what extent are you kind of, you know, taking yourself out of your peak performance state? To what extent are you creating an element mm -hmm. of distraction for yourself? And how do you kind of reconcile those competing imperatives? I don't have an answer, but I think it's an, it's a sort of a very interesting question. Right. Well, Rafi, yeah. I, I sense that we could talk for hours and none of us would, would get bored whatsoever. <laughs> I, as much as I would love to talk some trash, this has been an absolute delight, but uh, in the in the interest of uh, of letting you go. Any parting words? Uh, where would you like people to, to purchase the book? Do you have like a preferred place that you want people to go, a local bookstore or anything like that? I just prefer for people to purchase it period. <laughs> so Fair enough. It's, it's, you know, yeah, wherever, whatever's, I mean, local bookstores are terrific. If they don't have it in stock, they can always order it. Um, it, it is, of course, also available readily online uh, from your... Bookshop.org is a good way to kind of combine those two. Bookshop. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, um, but no, I, I do hope people check it out. I think there's a lot of stuff here for that tracks in basketball, but I feel like it's like sort of, you can kind of extrapolate this stuff across sports, but also kind 100%. of across performance in general. Um, yeah. And I, it's yeah. really su such a pleasure. I'm not going to talk any shit either because I had a great time. <laughs> uh, but no, but it's really, it's so much fun to get to have these kinds of conversations and with folks who really like dig the material and kind of like get it from both from like a, a competitive and, and just from a like, and com comedic, but also from like a, a, a fan standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And people should check it out. Like the, the physical book, it's a bright yellow cover with pink accents, like big mouth on the hey, cover. It's way, great. It, it, like it'll look way, good yeah, on a bookshelf. It looks great too. on a bookshelf. I, so I was deciding between that yellow cover with the pink and, a, and like a more subdued kind of blue cover. And I literally Googled the sort of psychology of colors uh, and, and yellow yes. and yellow is more, is more upsetting, annoying and attention grabbing. And I figured that caution that tape. Yeah. I mean, that's why caution tape is yellow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Amazing, amazing. So yeah, everyone check out that book. It's Trash Talk, the only book about destroying your rivals that is in total garbage by Rafi Cohan. Rafi, thank you so much for joining. We appreciate it. And it's a true testament as, as to how nice you are in that I, I don't want to say a single mean thing, <laughs> even jokingly. You should just, I think you should trash talk the, that editor who said it's a magazine article. If this thing gets any sort of praise, you got to just like oh, forward <laughs> forward the email to them and just be like, uh, you know, like yeah. attention, you know, <laughs> just, just wanted to make sure this came across your desk. Totally. You know, Shannon Sharp in a game, this is football, but yeah, I think it was against Derek Thomas. I might be getting this wrong. He digit by digit, uh, like recited out his girlfriend's phone number over the course of a game. So, so I'll just do that, but with, you know, praise. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editors, Kensei Suramaki. The music is by Bettina Kapamanas. The art is by Alison Wakeman. The website is by Kelly Schubert. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, How About Them World Champion Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Reed, Steph Curry, and his replacement, Splash Brother 4-3. I'm accepting who I am. Bang. You know, I love a meditative bang. Hi, Trish, Nicole Shepard, Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles Plays Ball, Naked Rachel, Sydney Crosby is a vampire, Chelsea's cousin, Ginger Spurs Boy, and Balls to the Walls. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops is the person who told all the NBA players not to really care during the All-Star game. And Adam Silver yeah. got that account shut down. You know, 
in, in this case, I'm actually, I'm, I'm all right with it. I think that was the right mm-hmm. move. You can go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the fun stuff we talked about uh, with Rafi and much, much more. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the Horse Boys and get cool stuff in exchange for doing so, you can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops. You get digital stuff, physical stuff. We'll say your names in episodes, all that goodness. And then you can also go to horsehoops.com slash merch to get Subnerds, it's basketball shirts, and other digital merch. But we'll close out this episode as we always do by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. What are we feeling? Hmm. Well, you know what? It's our first episode recording since your birthday. So I'm going to give you a happy birthday, Mike. You can say happy birthday to yourself. I'll say I'll also say happy birthday, Mike, but I'm saying it to Michael Jordan. So That's a good point. The second we're, coolest we're, Mike who has a birthday on February 17th. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's an honor. He Just should be quite a couple of goats. Cu- couple, couple of goats. A couple of goats. All right, All happy right. birthday, Mike, on three. One, two, three. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Mike. And he I'm took sorry. that personally. He took that personally That's- that it was belated, you know? Ooh, ooh, well, hey, man, that's the calendar for you. Sometimes... The recording schedule doesn't line up. Sometimes it does line Listen, up. Michael Jordan at 61 would play harder than all of these cats in the All-Star game. Yeah, let's, the, that's how we do it. Let's get a team of old heads. Here we go. Oh, old yeah. heads with nothing to lose. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.